I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here and get to share with you occasionally. You will see that I am not wearing orange of any kind. And actually, where's Dave? You have a little patch on your the side of your sleeve. What, what is that? Wow. Congratulations, Dave. You know, people say, why aren't you running the marathon? You played baseball. I said, exactly. I ran 90 feet and made left turns, and if I did it right, I could just take a casual jog for 360 feet. That's much more suitable for me. We are in a uh, series of reflections on how God shapes us for His design and His purposes. You know, we live um, in a culture that really prizes self-improvement. Right, The self-help section flourishes, continues to flourish at bookstores and on websites. And the truth of the matter is God has already done it. He has already designed us. He has already purposed our life. The question is, are we cooperating with him in that and are we living in to his design? The first week we looked at culture as the great kind of big blue backdrop of our lives that God puts us in that uses culture to help shape us for his intentions, but there's also things in culture we have to confront, that we have to redeem, that we need to see transformation come to for God's glory. Last week, Andy Crouch, with our missions week, challenged us in calling, calling, and he invited us into the greatest calling of all, that we get to be part of God's work in restoring the image, his image, in every human being and helping his creation flourish. And when we realize that calling, wherever God puts us, and we are about those things, we find deep meaning and purpose for our lives. Today is week three, and we are going to talk about the role that conflict plays as God's design tool in our lives. How many of you like conflict, would you just say? (laughs) Stay away from those people. My daughter last night was the only one who, like, raised her hand. I'm like, oh, Sadie, please put your hand down. But she was being very honest. <laughs> she loves it. You know, we uh, at the end of this sermon series, we, this hasn't been promoted yet, so you kind of are on the inside track. Um, November 6th, 7th, that first week in November, we're going to create a little space, a Friday evening, Saturday morning, to give more time for you to reflect on God's design and purpose in your life through some stories, through some kind of workshop type format. You're going to have the opportunity to dig a little deeper as a next step beyond this series. So just maybe remember that, flag that uh, for what's coming. We're also in this series tracking with a guy named Moses. How many of you have heard of Moses? Right. How many of you seen the Prince of Egypt? Right. If you have kids or grandkids, you probably have. Moses is one of these great characters in Scripture, and we have four books devoted to him. He's a big part of the, the life of the people of God and their history. Uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And what I love about Moses is that he is this real, raw, honest kind of guy. And with as many pages devoted to him and his leadership and his character and kind of this journey with God's people, we really get to peer inside of this guy and see what he's really, really all about. And I think, at least for me, I find so many connecting points with this guy who really is honest before God and oftentimes with the people. But Moses dealt with a lot of conflict. 
both circumstances brought to him, but also um, the inner conflict that seemed to always be battling within him. Here, listen to just this cursory of Moses' life. He was the prince of Egypt, but he kills an Egyptian who was like beating a Hebrew who he knew was one of his people, so he kills the Egyptian, right? But he gets caught, right? And he ends up fleeing, having to flee the country, the place where he ruled. He went from the upper of upper classes to the lowest of lower classes, becoming a shepherd. 40 years, right, with sheep out in the wilderness. Tell me that wouldn't mess with your mind from status here to status here. And not just for like a few weeks or a few months on some unemployment, right? It was 40 years. Then when God calls him to go back to Pharaoh to let his people go, Moses doubts himself. He makes all kinds of excuses. In fact, he almost disqualifies himself from the opportunity that God was laying before him. Moses frequently disowns the people before God, calling them stiff-necked, throwing them under the bus, not taking really any responsibility um, for the circumstances therein, he pushes them to the side and throws it back to God. And then there's a story that we just heard. We are deep in the wilderness experience. The people have already rebelled to the point that God says, none of you are going to enter into the promised land. You're all going to die out here in a new generation is who I'm going to take in. Okay, and they get to the desert of Zin. Is there anything... That sounds inviting, about a million people or so, give or take, that are traveling through a wilderness together, the whole western suburbs, moving together. Moses has already almost had a nervous breakdown trying to lead all these people by himself. And then they get to a desert where it says there's no water. And not only is there no water for the people and their livestock, you can only live a few days without water, someone dies. Do you remember who it was? Miriam. Do you know who Miriam was? It was his sister. Do you feel the weight of this desert experience? Frustration, sorrow, pressure, grief, all colliding. And Moses goes before the Lord, right? And the Lord says, I'm going to take care of you. In fact, I'm going to show my glory to the people. We are going to give them their water. Here's what I want you to do. And Moses leaves there. It says he listened to the Lord and he left there. <clears throat> But you can just get this sense that something's stirring because the people are opposing him, right? He, something about leaders who try to, there's this phrase that says, great leaders take people where they need to go, not where they want to go, right? And Moses is trying to be that leader, taking the people where they need to go, but they're not really cooperating. In fact, they're turning mean and they're quarreling. I'm so grateful that churches don't do that. <laughs> um, you recognize the conflict, right? Do you hear how Moses, he's just been in this great moment with the Lord. He goes out to talk to the people, and he just kind of turns into a snapperhead with them. He's like, listen, you rebels. You know, out of that tone, you sense that he is not loving life right now. And then he deviates, right? This, whatever is going on in him, he ends up taking this staff, right? And instead of in humility speaking to the rock to give God the room to do this great miracle to bless the people, Moses yells at the people, takes the staff, bangs it twice, and the water comes out. Moses powers up, and he robs God of the glory in that moment. Okay, and then he gets really a, the big blow. God says, because you did not listen to me, you're not going to enter the promised land either where you're taking these people. More conflict within. 
And I don't know about you, I would have just said, you know what, then forget it. Let them all die out here. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, this is like, I'm done, right? At least that would have been my gut reaction. Hopefully, I don't know how I would have responded. Probably like that. Um, So I just think even now hope seems to be gone from this man's life. Here's the crazy idea that I want to leave you with. Because Moses gives us a great window, I think, even into our own lives every day. We have conflict that is within us. And until we have full alignment with God's design and purposes in our life, whatever that gap is, there is going to be conflict within. And we must address it. We must address it. Because on the other side of it is blessing, right? It's God's intentions. It's His full and abundant life. But we will live out of our conflict in some way, in some form. And sometimes we will do it well, and God will use it as a tool to shape us, or we may go a different way and experience hardship as a result, apart from what God wants to do do in us. So here's the crazy idea. Engaging the conflict within in honesty and humility is a pathway to maturity and God's design in your life. Engaging the conflict within honestly and humbly is a pathway to maturity in God's design in your life. Romans 12 Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, literally changing the way you think. Then, Paul says, then you'll be able to understand God's will. You see, the world will conform us. The world has conformed us in ways. Um, David Brooks, author in the book The Road to Character, describes many conforming contributions that have shaped us over the last, say, 50, 60 years, leading our culture and our lives to form something what he calls the big me. The big me that lives in each of us. The big me thrives on self. We live in a self-esteem age. Everybody gets a trophy. Um, You know, it's the me generation being multiplied over and over again. Truth is subject to me. Success has been redefined by my accomplishments, my status, my power. Rampant individualism, consumerism, materialism that is always pulling at us is the pride of the big me. We could spend the rest of our time, probably the rest of this series, if we just wanted to amplify where we see that big me showing up in the blueprint of our culture and in our lives. But there was one thing in his book that really caught my attention. He looked at the way language, public language, is being used over the last several decades. Google has a thing called Ngram. Are any of you familiar with Ngram? <clears throat> I'd never heard of it. But Ngram tracks word usage and books and publications and everything in our culture to see what words are being used more and less. And here's what he found. Over the past few decades... Our language has become more demoralized. Okay, word, word usage around individualistic words has been on the rise. Self, personalized, I come first, I can do it myself. There's been a sharp decline in words like community, share, um, united, common good. Words having to do with economics and business are rising. And language around morality and character has been in decline. Words like character, conscience, virtue have all declined in the 20th century. And usage of the word bravery 
has declined 66%. Gratitude is down 49%. Humbleness is down 52%. Kindness is down 56%. I thought that was fascinating. And I realized those are the waters we swim in every day, even in the church. Do you see the big me in our culture? Let me stick a little further. Do you see the big me in you, in your own life? I'd have to confess, I do. Only a little bit sometimes in my own life. (laughs) See, we 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 just must confront the big me if we're going to grow into God's design period. We have to confront the big me if we're going to grow into God's design. James 4 chapter 1 says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle where? Within. I hate that verse because I know it's true, right? I just probably had multiple conflicts yesterday and a lot of it stemmed from like what was coming out of me. I didn't get what I want. Harry Emerson Fosdick says, the beginning of worthwhile living is thus, the confrontation with ourselves. The beginning of worthwhile living is the confrontation with ourselves. If any of you use Oswald Chambers' My Utmost for His Highest on September 24th, just a couple days ago, he said these words. He says, it is dangerous to become settled or complacent in our present level of experience. The Christian life requires preparation and more preparation. He's saying the same thing. We must deal with ourselves. The worthwhile living is the confrontation with ourselves. And so I want to invite you into the struggle-ridden, conflict-rich waters of confronting ourselves because that is where God is doing the good work of shaping your character and your soul for his design and purposes. And when we find that courage to do that, And it will take courage, make no mistake. Courage mixed with humility and that honesty um, to keep that big me from dominating our lives. We may have to go through some turbulent waters, through some wildernesses, even some deserts of loss to get to the promised land of his design for our lives. The great line in the movie Mission Impossible goes like this. Your mission... Dan or Jim, if you choose to accept it, and it goes on, right? I want you to play along with me because I want you to insert your name, right? I'm I'm literally going to do this, right? When I do that, you say your name, okay? You ready? See if we can get it first try. Your mission, let's do it again. So you almost got it, like half of you are with me, okay? Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to purposely, and intentionally challenge the big me in you and engage the conflict within so that God can build the character of his design in your life. That is your mission if you choose to accept it because God's plan and his purpose for you is good and it is complete. But we have to learn to lean into his purposes. And this is painfully hard. Because it means something has to die. We have to surrender. We have to deny ourselves in some way. And the big me is strong. And it is deep within us. And it is not going to yield easily. I can promise you. But thanks be to God, we have one who has already conquered all. And that power is within us. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple, to be his follower, whoever wants to have 
his life, the ultimate me in them. He says, you must deny yourself to take up your cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life, life will lose it. You can hold on to the big me, but you will lose in the end, Jesus is saying. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel, what God's doing in this world will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world to have the big me yet forfeit their soul? God's grace is amazing because he invites us into this process. It's all his work in us, but he invites us to have skin in the game. And so your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to engage the conflict. And I want to give you a series of options. Maybe you would write one or two of these down to say, you know what, this next week or this next month, I'm going I'm to really do the hard work to expose this big me in my life. The first one is this. Determine what success looks like for you. Determine what success or life really looks like for you. We live, honestly, kind of duplistic lives. We say one thing, we might even believe something, but oftentimes we live contrary to what that is. Let your life speak as a first step. Look at your life and say, if I were to play that out, how, what definition does that give me of success? What am I desiring? What am I pursuing in life? And then say, what is it that I most deeply desire? What is it that the desire that God has put in me? Right? And see if there's a gap there. Right? But I can tell you this. If your definition of success does not involve humble character, Christ-likeness, holiness, maturity that influences others for God's purposes, you have some more conflict to engage either now or in the days and years to come. Second. Maybe you make a, more, uh, a fearless moral inventory. Our friends from AA Alcoholics Anonymous, this is step four in their process. Make a fearless moral inventory. In their book, they say, First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. Being convinced that self, not alcohol, but self, you might say the big me, manifested in various ways was what defeated us. Make a ruthless fearless moral inventory of your life. Perhaps you would want to seek someone out to speak into your life the truths that you just don't see. All of us have blind spots, or at least everyone around you has blind spots. Ask someone that you know and trust that observes your life just to speak into it. Say, here's what I'm saying. Give them permission to speak the truth, hopefully in love, uh, but take good notes, right? Because it is a gift to have a friend or a family member that will just honestly share with you to reflect back with you what they see, especially if it's around a conflict that you experienced, to hear what they experienced or saw in your life. And just listen, and then take it to prayer, and just ask God to open up, to help you examine all that they said. <clears throat> I love what John Ortberg says. This is maybe another thing you can try is to work on taming the, inter, the inner voice that's always talking in our head. And often that voice uh, runs us some walk down all kinds of rabbit trails, right? Often away from truth and goodness. Um, do you know that voice? I have a doozy of a voice sometimes. I mean, I drive in my car and I've got this kind of stuff going on in my head. And so far, thankfully, my voice has been 100% right, and everyone else has been 100% wrong. <laughs> Even evil sometimes, I'm just saying. Do you know that voice? If you're sitting there saying, I don't think I have a voice that's always 
talking in my head that taking me down rabbit trails. If you're thinking that, that is the voice I'm talking about. Okay, it's that voice that's always in there. Submit it to God. The spirit that lives within us. Ask the spirit to take control of your mind. Submit your mind to the things of God and allow that to be a way that God is designing you, shaping you, growing you. Perhaps you just need to allow external, your next conflict, or maybe a conflict you're in now, to be a your teacher. What are the emotions that are kicking up? The attitudes that are being stirred, right? James says, what causes quarrels and fights? Don't they come from those things within your desires? Try to find out what those are. Because often the circumstances are not the conflict. It's how we respond. Understanding our response is a great key and window into some of the deep stuff where God is working in our lives or maybe where we've shut God out and not invited him in. Last, um, maybe you will practice the exam. Did all of you get one of these cards when you walked in? We will have more there on the exit. So ushers or whoever, grab some of those and make sure people can grab them. Two practices we've kind of highlighted. The examine is one. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline, an ancient practice that is really gaining momentum here recently. We have showed you this over the last 10 years in different ways as a church. The examine is where we just simply step back and it's like we hit rewind on our day or our week. And we seek to see where was I walking with God? Where was God's presence evident in my life? And where was I going at the journey alone? Or maybe shutting him out or not even realizing what God was doing. Practicing this, taking 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you would allocate, to just simply follow this process that we've outlined, uh, it will begin shaping you and you will start living your life forward into your days with a different kind of consciousness of what God is doing and where he's at. On the back side of it, we've given you the humility code. This is out of David Brooks's book, where the humility code really is just principles to help you engage inner conflict. And the goal is to design that humble character within us so we do conflict well. Take advantage of one of those in some way. If we keep reading the story of Moses, right? We just left off where he's told he would not get to go to the promised land after all that he's been through, after all that he's sacrificed, after all the conflict, after the death of his sister, all of it. We see this man pressing on, that he doesn't quit, that he doesn't give up, and he takes them all the way to the borders of the promised land. They can see it. And there Moses dies. But before he dies, he handles the mantle of his leadership over to someone else, Joshua, who becomes the next great leader in Israel's history. And the thing I would always wonder if I could be Joshua is what did he get to watch in the life of Moses and how God shaped his character of how he continued to be faithful in allowing God to do his work in him and through him. That, my friends, I think is influence and that glorifies God. The conflict is worth it. Take courage mixed with humility. Challenge the big me. Accept a mission that is not impossible and dare to grow in the character and call of God's design and purpose for you. Will you pray with me? Father, we do open ourselves to you, even thinking of dealing with some of the mess within us, of being honest about the gap of 
maybe what we've become, how we've been formed, and your intentions for our lives, that it does not sound entertaining to engage that gap. But God, I pray we will. Give us the courage to go there. Give us the humility to go there. Help us learn from people like Moses. Help us take on just one or two disciplines that help us start that journey because, God, it's in that place, through that conflict, that you are shaping us for your glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.